0: fairly and generously compensated. I'm, I'm totally happy with that. But like you, I have to look at what I got and go, how are we going to make this work? There's a lot of things. I mean, these kids, they eat every day. <laughs> and, uh, and, and if you just stop, you go, okay, Solomon said money's the answer to everything. It kind of feels like it. Like everything needs money. Every, everything you needed to get here today required money. You needed some sort of transportation. You need some, some sort of gas in that transportation. You, your clothes that you're wearing, it all took money. The corrective lenses that many of you have on, it took money. The sunglasses you wore to keep you from getting blind as you drove here, that took money. It all takes money. And, and, and it's because everything is so connected to money, perhaps, that money feels so supercharged. Check to anybody who does counseling or, or marital counseling or that kind of therapy for couples that are going through difficult things. Almost all of them will say, every time one of the main factors, not the only one, is related to money. It's a huge tension. Some of you, this is like your worst nightmare, right? Not only did you have to stand up and talk to people for a minute that you don't know, but now you just found out that we're doing a sermon about money. And you're like, this is my first time at this church, and I knew they were going to talk about money. And, uh, and some of you, like, you've had bad experiences with churches and money, and you just kind of think, man, I, I think they're in it for my money, and I'm nervous, and I'm scared, and I, I don't like this. And here's what I want to tell you today. I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry that we're talking about this. This is important. Jesus had a lot to say about money, and one of the things that really shocks us is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say you cannot serve God and Satan. He doesn't say you cannot serve God and serve the world. He says, you cannot serve God and money. One of the biggest rivals for our heart's allegiance to God is money. And I'm not sorry about talking about this. We're going to talk about it for three weeks. And here's what this series is. And it's all from the book of Luke chapter 12, is it's all about our relationship with money. This is not a a three-week series mostly about giving or about saving or about investing or about budgeting or about any of that stuff, as great as that is, about paying off debt. It's not about that. It's about our relationship with money. If money is involved in everything, and if money is this huge competitor with God for our hearts, then we got to spend some time thinking about our relationship with money. We're going to look at some of Jesus' key teaching about finances. It all comes as response to verse 13, where someone asks him to, to tell his brother to divide an in inheritance. And, and it leads into a number of paragraphs of Jesus' teaching. Today, we're going to just kind of set up what Jesus is going to begin to talk about. There's going to be a lot more application of what we talk about in the coming weeks. But today, you've got to get the big picture vision that Jesus has when it comes to our relationship with money. That's what we're going to focus on here. Now, I want to say this, um, this is a voluntarily, this is a a, a giving uh, funded church, right? We don't receive money outside from anywhere else other than what people who are part of the church give. And you all give generously and you have given generously. You have uh, allowed our needs as a church and as a leadership, as we try to do ministry in our church and in our community and around the world, our needs are generously met year after year after year. That was true last year. That I think will be true this year. Uh, This is uh, not something I take for granted. It is something I deeply appreciate. But here's why I tell you that is this is not a series designed to just try to get you to give more money. I'd love you to give more money. That would definitely help the needs of the church. I think more than that, it would help you to have more freedom, to have more joy. A lot of you would like to be able to give more money, but because your relationship with money is kind of jacked up, you can't give as much as you'd actually like to. But here's what I want you to say. This is not about us trying to get more money from you. It is about us trying to help you have a good relationship with money. And so there's some things that we do as a church that are very much uh, about helping you when it comes to your relationship with money. And so at the beginning of the series, and we may mention these a few different times, I, I wanna mention a couple of opportunities that we have coming up this spring. The first one, is Financial Peace University, FPU. FPU is a class that uh, was started by Dave Ramsey. He's got a you know, very well-known and a highly popular radio show and a whole communication network. And he has a bunch of great resources in this class, Financial Peace University. It's a nine-week class. This one begins February 16th. Uh, we'll kind of l- use the Ramsey material as well as add in some additional biblical stuff that we wanna add to that. Um, But that's for you. And if you're in debt, if you're feeling like I am struggling to get ahead anywhere because of the money that I owe to people, especially FPU is something you should do. I have seen people, I mean, on average, we we keep track of it. And on average, the average participant who goes through FPU at our church uh, over the nine weeks pays off north of $3,000 in credit card debt just during that time. And it can really accelerate some stuff that can give you some freedom. The first 10 households that sign up for it, also, this is kind of cool, get $45 off uh, that typical cost. So that's, that's something that we want to do for you. The, the second thing we want to do for you, and this is now on May 2nd, um, both of these things, if you scan the QR code there on the calendar on the seats in front of you, you can find these on the calendar Uh, The second thing is this financial planning ministry seminar. So Redemption Church, with all our 10 congregations, has uh, partnered with a nonprofit organization called Financial Planning Ministry. And what they do is uh, they provide free to you, we pay for it, but free to you uh, financial planning services. And so on May 2nd here uh, in this room, there will be a seminar that that Financial Planning Ministry will do. That'll be totally free. Um, if you want, after that, you can then sign up to work with them for free to establish a will, to establish a living trust. A living trust typically will cost you $3,000, $5,000 to establish. Uh, you can do that totally free. It's not strings attached. It's just something we believe in. We think it will bless and help you. And so we'd encourage you to be part of those things. So I, I say that at the outset, just so I hope you understand my heart here, Um I'm so grateful for your generosity and the way God provides um, to our church and to me and to my family through your generosity. I I really appreciate that. That's not why we're talking about this. We're talking about this because you and I get out of whack on money real quick. And we need to hear what Jesus has to say. So will you pray with me? Um, Lord, we invite you now to come and to speak to us. Uh, Lord, if money is so involved in so many things and if It's so difficult and contentious in our hearts. And if there's so much rivalry between you and our possessions, would you please give us more freedom today and through this series? Uh, We ask it of you in Jesus' name, amen. All right, here's the big idea today. Uh, The big idea is that we should be on guard against greed and the reason we'll see in a moment is because life is about God, not possession. So first we want to talk about being on guard against greed. The uh, whole idea of this comes up in verse 13. I got a new toy for Christmas. This is kind of fun. So uh, we'll take a look at this. We've got the passage up here. We're going to have a little, little fun with the Bible. Um, And so the whole thing starts in verse 13, where someone in the crowd says to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, if you've ever been in a dispute related to an inheritance, you know this situation, right? This, by the way, is why you need a living trust. So that when you die, and by the way, you're going to die, you don't want everyone in your family fighting about it. You just want it really clear. Here's who's in charge. Here's how it works. Here's what everyone gets, right? But apparently that situation wasn't going on here. And the other thing you have in this dynamic is that the inheritance that people would receive in the first century was not mostly an inheritance of cash. It was an inheritance of stuff. Or, Or stuff would have to be sold in order to be able to get Uh, more liquid money and so what's going on here is in the first century the the oldest child the oldest son would get a double portion of the inheritance so if there were two brothers the oldest brother would get two-thirds and the youngest brother would get one-third and that's fair because the youngest always gets everything else easier so the oldest get anyway no not really but so probably what's going on here is this man is saying, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Teacher, uh, my older brother is not selling off the stuff that he needs to sell off to give me my portion of the inheritance. And I love how Jesus responds. Jesus uh, said to him, man, come on, man, let's go, bro, like. Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? By the way, when you die, who are you going to stand before as a judge? Jesus. So this is kind of ironic, but Jesus is going, this is not what I really came to do. I didn't really come to, you know, pick winners and losers in inheritance fights. I came to teach you about the kingdom of God. And so that's what he begins to do. He says, "Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you?" And he said to them, here's the idea, take care and be on Your guard against all covetousness. Take care and be on your guard. Point number one today. Is be on guard against greed. Take care. Th- these words mean to be vigilant, to be on the lookout, to be careful, watch out, to look out, to protect against. And these are present, active, imperative words. Present meaning it's not something you do one time, it's something you do all the time. It's a present tense. Keep being active, keep being vigilant, keep being on the lookout, keep paying attention. Present active. You've got to do it. This is not passive. You need some effort. This needs some work. You've got to do this thing, and it's imperative, meaning it's a command. This is not optional. This is not a suggestion. You've got to do this. Take care. Be on your guard. Protect against. Be vigilant. Watch out against all covetousness. This word, in many other translations, is translated as greed. It's a word that means insatiableness. It's an excessive and immoderate desire for more and more. Be on guard, take care, protect diligently against covetousness, greed, the desire for more and more and more. Now, I've met with lots of different people over the years of being a pastor, people who want to come in and talk about different problems, different situations, different things where they need help. Lord, uh, Pastor, would you help me? I feel disconnected to the Lord, and I want to learn to pray. Would you help me with that? I've had that meeting. I've had meetings like, hey, um, you know, I'm dealing with purity issues, and there's this challenge in our marriage, and there's this challenge in my family, and I'm having a hard time forgiving, and, and I've had all sorts of things. I've never one time had someone say, Pastor, I want to meet with you. I think I'm greedy. See, covetousness, it's very hard to spot in the mirror. We, fight, we see it everywhere in everyone else. There's greed everywhere in everyone else. But in us, it's pretty hard to spot. Here's one reason. is because it often looks like something else. Oftentimes, covetousness or greed looks like ambition. Or it looks like drive. Or it looks like good planning. Right, you might go, I'm not greedy. I don't have an insatiable desire for more. I just have ambition. I'm not going to live in my mom's basement forever. Sue me. Okay. Or you go, I just have drive. I just I want to win. I want to compete. I want to grow. I want to improve. I, and that's part of being made in God's image. Okay. You know, you know what? I'm not greedy. I'm not covetous. I just want to make a plan for the future. I just want to be able to have a good budget and have a good plan and be able to live my kids something and maybe pay for college. Or I want to have a plan. And listen. All those things are good. And this is why it can be so tricky to discern. Because oftentimes the good desires are mixed with the bad desires and we can't totally pick it apart. And yet, what Jesus says is, take care. Pay attention. Learn to pick this apart. You know, there's something that my kids uh, have always they have taken care. They have been on their guard against. They are v- vigilant. They look for it. They make sure that it will not get near them. Onions. <laughs> they are vigilant against onions. The other night, uh, Molly made lettuce wraps, and she had you know ground some, tur- got some ground turkey, and you know some nice you know good Asian flavors, and chopped up some uh, little tiny minuscule you can't even see them onions. And I go, Hank, eat, buddy. He goes, I found onions in here. I'm telling you, he is taking care. He is on his guard. He is picking it apart. And I'm going, buddy, just scoop up the thing. You can't pick it all apart. Just, sco- just scoop. All right? And here's the problem is when it comes to our money, a lot of us go, oh, I'll just scoop. And I'll give myself the benefit of the doubt that the real thing's my ambition or my drive or my planning. But, but I want to encourage you to be more like Hank. Pick it apart. Where is there some greed, some insatiableness, some covetousness in you? That's one reason it's hard to find. The second reason it's hard to find is because it just seems so normal. We, everybody wants more. We live in a consumer culture. I mean, more seems better than less. I don't know. America's kind of an up-and-to-the-right country. I love this quote by Mark Twain. He said, civilization... Is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. Guys, away with words, the civilization is a limitless multiplication of unnecessary necessities. And he lived before Amazon Prime. How did he know that at any moment you could have an unnecessary necessity that would pop up and it will be on your doorstep before you get home from church? How did he know? And so it's hard to spot. It looks like other stuff. It seems so normal. And then the Bible comes along and says, wait, 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 time out. This covetousness, this greed, this insatiable desire for more, it's a big deal. I want to show you three different lists in the Bible where they list out a bunch of sins. Pay attention to these. Jesus gives a list in Mark 7. He says, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Same word. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting. Yeah, it's in the same list. It says it comes from within your heart. No one makes you do it. It comes from within you. That's what defiles you. What defiles you isn't the external rules you keep. He says it's the heart in you that is constantly wanting more. Similar list in Romans 1. Paul talking about the unraveling of the world says they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, evil covetousness, same word as Luke 12, malice, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, they're gossips. It's this list, right? This is a big deal. This is on par with murder and deceit and malice and evil, covetousness. Or Colossians 3, we're told to, because of the spirit of God that's in Christians, we should put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. And then look at how it's described, which is idolatry. Why is this insatiableness, this greed, this covetousness, this excessive and immoderate desire for more and more and more, why is that described as idolatry? Here's why, is because it reverses creation. Creation, all these good things in the earth were given by God to bless humanity and to be used by humanity and for humanity to subdue and to have dominion over and to cultivate for our blessing and good. But when these things become most important, we reverse the order of creation and possessions become more important than people. And now we live for possessions and people become pawns. And that's why it's such a big deal. So Jesus says, take care, be on your guard against all covetousness, all kinds of it. Why? Here's why. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And that leads us to our second point. Why should we be on guard against greed? Because life is about God, not possessions. Now, you know this, don't you? You know life's not about possessions. You know life's not about stuff. You know life is not about your car and it's not about your vacations and it's not about uh, your, your trips and it's not about your tech and it's not about all those things. You you know that you're more than that. And yet there's something in you and there's something in me that forgets it so easily that our life doesn't consist in the abundance of our possessions. Here's how Will Smith describes it in his memoir he says this the problem with money sex and fame is that when you don't have them you can justify your misery you're all like yo if i just had this or that then i'd be good but then you get that stuff and it still doesn't fill that void in your life and you're left with this terrifying thought that maybe you are the problem if you can't say amen you should say ouch and so there's this thing in us Okay, I know that that's not going to satisfy. I know that life's more than that, but we still go after it. And so Jesus doesn't just stop here by saying this main big point. This is the big point of this whole thing is watch out, be on guard, protect yourself against covetousness because life is about more than possessions. Life's about God. But in order to illustrate that, he tells a story. So he tells a parable. It says he told them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced Plentify. Pay attention to the details in this text. Notice it says, what produced? The land. It doesn't say a rich man produced plentifully. It says the land of a rich man produced plentifully. Why does that matter? Who controls the land? Who makes it rain? Who makes the sun come up? Who causes stuff to grow? Who causes the soil to be good? Who causes the climate to be good? Who? God right? This rich man might think he's a world unto his own, but he's not. It's the land. And it says that he's a rich man. It's interesting. He doesn't become rich because his land produced plentifully. He's already rich. Now this is important maybe to say, how do you know if someone's rich? Well, the way we do it in our culture is anyone who has more than me, because no one ever is like, I'm rich. It's always people who have more than me. And here's what's interesting about this whole thing about covetousness and greed is some of the most greedy people are the poorest because they think it's the stuff. I I gotta have it, I gotta have it, I gotta live for it. And some of the greediest people are the wealthy who even though they have lots and lots and lots, they go, I gotta have more, I gotta have more. It's never enough, it's never enough, it's never enough. I don't know if you're rich or not. Here's one way I think about it. Um, Have you ever found money like in your couch? Like a penny, and you threw it away? You're rich, if you have ever done that. Okay, that's at least one way to know. All right. So the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? That's an important question. What do I do? Oh, man. What do I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And at this point, we all go, oh, poor guy. We feel so bad for you. You already had a lot. Your land produced even more. What a huge problem. But think about this. This becomes a problem. One of the challenges with having a lot is you got to figure out what to do with it. You got to figure out how to take care of it. You got to figure out how to keep it clean. You got to figure out how to go visit there. You got to take care of this stuff. And some of the people with the most money and the most stuff have experienced this question. What do I do with this? Now, we don't have a lot of sympathy for them. But but listen to the testimonies of all these people. The first multimillionaire in the United States was John Jacob Astor. He said this, I am the most miserable man on earth. John D. Rockefeller said, I have made many millions, but they have brought me no happiness. Henry Ford said I was happier when I was doing a mechanic's job. The Notorious B.I.G. said, Mo' money, mo' problems. <laughs> Keep it simple, Biggie. And W.H. Uh, Vanderbilt, the son of the Commodore, said Take care, the care of $200 million is enough to kill anyone. There is no pleasure in it. Now here's what's so funny about this conversation. Most miserable man, no happiness. I was happier back then. Mo' money, mo' problems. It's enough to kill anyone. There's no pleasure in it. And you're like, ah. Right? This, is like, this is like when people win the lottery, right? Like, like I don't know if you play the lottery, um, but like Powerball goes crazy. People start buying tickets. You start hearing stories. And every time someone wins, there's other stories that say, hey, remember anyone who wins the lottery, it ruins their life. And every one of us hear it and we're like, I don't know. I mean, like, give me a shot at it. I don't know, like, like, give me a run. I, I feel like maybe I'm the exception. And isn't that the deceitfulness of greed? The person after person after person who's had everything we think we want and need says it doesn't make you happy. And we go, yeah, I know, but also. It's deceitful. This is why we have to take care. He says, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. There you go. That fixes the plan. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. He goes, you know what? I produced this bumper crop. This is awesome. I'm going to just build bigger barns, take care of it. I won't have to work quite as hard. This sounds like an easy retirement. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Awesome. But God, that's an important phrase in the Bible. Anytime you see the phrase, but God, pay attention. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You got all this stuff, but you think you've got all this time, right? Notice this. Notice he says, soul. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. And God says to him, No, this night your soul is required of you. You you think you've got all this life to live? Tonight you're gonna go stand before God. Tonight you're gonna have an account to your life. Tonight. All the stuff that you thought you were taking with you, it's not yours anymore. It's over. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, why does Jesus call him a fool? Why does God call him a fool? Because think about this. That seemed like a pretty good plan, actually. Right? Like, I'm going to, okay, I have this bumper crop. I'm going to build more space to be able to take care of it so I don't have to work as hard? And I, like, that doesn't seem like a terrible plan. He's not going, I'm gonna exploit lots of people. I'm gonna try to, you know, pillage the poor people around me and take their stuff too. Like, it doesn't seem wicked. Why is it so foolish? We gotta go back. You gotta pay close attention to what the man said. He said this. He thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Hmm. What's this guy living for? Himself. Insatiable, more, more, me, 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 I, I, I. He's living as though there's no God. He's living as though what God says about all of his stuff doesn't matter. That's the problem. That's why he's a fool. He's not a fool because he's the most wicked rich person to ever live, but he's a fool because he, he treated his relationship with money as if it was all his. He treated it as if the land that produced plentifully was his, He treated it as though God wasn't involved and that makes him a fool. He continues, and I will say to my soul, and Jesus looks at all this and he says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So again, we'll apply this more in the coming weeks. But what's your relationship with money? Are you like this man where you, when it comes to money, live as though God's not in the equation? This is all yours? Are you like this man where when it comes to money, you're only thinking about the here and now and not the eternal reality? The story is told. I I, I doubt this is true, but the story is told that at different points, Uh, during the history of the Crusades, that some Crusaders would be baptized and they would keep their swords out of the water as if to say, Lord, take all of me, but not this part. I wonder how many Christians get baptized with their wallets out of the water. Lord, not this part. And yet if all of life is all for Jesus, then what we want to be is rich toward God. That's what ultimately matters. Let me tell you a tale of two graves. These graves are not very far apart from each other in Egypt. Uh, One grave you've perhaps heard about. It's the tomb of King Tut. Maybe uh, when you were a kid, uh, you, like I, got to go to a museum and see an exhibit about King Tut. Because King Tut, when they found his grave... Uh, In Egypt, it was stunning. There were tons and tons and tons of gold excavated from it. He was buried in a gold tomb within gold hallways and gold rooms and gold, 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 in a gold coffin with a gold chariot, in the solid gold chariot found in there. I mean, there were literally tons of gold found in his grave. And he died at 17, a young death. And there he was buried in all this gold. And when it was found, it was like, whoa, look at the treasures that King Tut was buried with. Well, not far away in Egypt is another grave. It's the grave of a young man named William Borden. William Borden was an heir to a very wealthy family. He went to Yale. He was a young hotshot up and comer, ran a lot of different things, even at a young age. And at age 25, he decided, you know what? I'm going to renounce all of this stuff and I'm gonna not live off of this inheritance, and I want to see Muslims come to faith in Jesus. I wanna go to the unreached places, I wanna go to places where people don't know about Christ. And so um, he wanted ultimately to go to the Uyghurs in China, Um, but first he went to Egypt, and in Egypt he was learning about how to be a missionary there, and he was doing the work and beginning to share the gospel with Muslims, and four months into his work there, After renouncing all of this wealth, four months later, he contracted spinal meningitis and he died and he's buried there. And if you go to his tomb, here's what it's inscripted on his tomb. It says this, apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Apart from faith in Christ, there is no explanation for such a life. Two graves, two young men, two very different experiences Let me ask you, where are they now? And which would you rather be? Where are they now? Well, they're in eternity. And all that stuff isn't theirs anymore. Whose will it be? Whose will it be? The museum in Cairo? It's gone. And in the end, here's what I want to tell you. All that matters is that you're rich toward God. That's it. That's what matters. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ saw that you and I were spiritually bankrupt and he came and he lived obediently as a second kind of Adam succeeding and obeying in all the places that the first Adam failed. And he goes as our representative to the cross where he dies as a substitute for sinners like you and I so that the true riches of all of God's presence could be poured out on us so that we actually now have true riches. We can, in Christ, by faith, be truly rich. We can have a wealth that will last forever. That's what it is to be rich toward God. So the question is, what will we focus on in our relationship with money? Will we lay up treasure for ourselves, Or will we be rich toward God? And so I want to encourage you with a principle from Randy Alcorn's amazing book, uh, the treasure principle—it's um, actually where I first read about William Borden and that story. And the treasure principle is a little tiny book; it's totally worth your time. Uh, but he has a principle in it, and this is, I think, the big picture idea. And, and again, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to flesh out what it looks like to do this more. But for right now, here's here's the here's the big picture principle. There's a dot, and it's called now. It's this life. And if you're really fortunate, it might be 75 to 85 years. And then there's eternity. By the way, this is not drawn to scale. <laughs> and here's the principle. Here's the principle. Here's the takeaway from this parable. Live for the line, not the dot. If you live for the dot, as you die, you'll only be going away from your true treasure. Because you laid up treasure for yourself. You laid up stuff for yourself. That was your treasure. That was your hope. That was your future. You die. That is all gone. It's in the rear view. It's far away. If you are rich toward God, if your relationship with God is the most important thing to you, and that involves even your relationship with your money, then as you die, you're only getting closer to your treasure. You're moving toward it. Live for the line, not the dot. That's what it is to be rich toward God. It's actually rich in the direction of God that you may or may not have a lot of money now. You may feel like, man, I wish I had more. I wish I could provide for these things. I'm praying for these things that God might provide. it. That's fine, do that, that's great. But in the end, whether you're wealthy or whether you're not, live for the treasure that you find in Christ. Be rich toward him, live for the line, not the dot. Okay, we'll flesh out more of what that means in the next couple of weeks. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word uh, thank you for Jesus' wisdom and responding to this man. Thank you for how um, Jesus helps us to know you and to understand even ourselves. And Lord, we pray that we would take care, that we would be on guard, that we would be diligent to protect against that thing that's in us that just wants more and more and more stuff. Lord, instead, could we be hungry, insatiable, and our appetite for you to have more and more of you forever. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen.